you know, if you, uh, if you kind of look at it, the, the landscape of, of either ancient narratives and theatrical productions all the way down to our modern TV shows and movies, it's really clear that over the course of history that we as human beings love stories of revenge, right? Stories of a, a protagonist that's suffered from some grave injustice who by the end of, of the saga has turned the tables on the villain and put them in their place. Uh, whether it's entire nations at war seeking vengeance against their arch enemies or just one victim plotting a really brilliant comeuppance against a pack of rivals, there's, there's nothing that gets our, our pulse rate up more than a deliciously plotted revenge story, right? And it, it kind of resonates across generations from Shakespeare uh, who said, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you wrong us, shall we not revenge? Uh, all the way down to Dirty Harry, right? I know, I know you guys are Dirty Harry fans, right? What, what was his iconic line? Go say it, yeah. Go ahead, make my day, right? Uh, and the stories become even more poignant when they deal with a husband uh, avenging his wife's violent attack or a parent, defending their kids. Because I think on some level, I think on some level we all want to see and hear and feel that there's someone willing to go to the mat for us. Someone willing not to just passively protect us, but to, to go up to bat for us and even to battle for us if that need arises. And you know, that feeling is no less true in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, uh, who's promised to be our defender and our redeemer and the writer of our wrongs and the dispenser of justice. And I want us to see those themes in our psalm text today in Psalm 109 that deals with the unfathomable depths of God's love toward us, uh, his dramatic rescue of his children, of his people, through the death of his son, and finally and ultimately the holy vengeance that he has planned against the dark forces and the devious traitors who conspired to send his beloved son to the cross. And so I hope you're following along in your own Bibles. We're picking up Psalm 109, which is superscribed to the choir master, a psalm of David. And David writes, Be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayers be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May a creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruit of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any pity to his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. He loved to curse, but let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing, may it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as a coat, 
May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord who speak evil against my life. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on behalf of your namesake. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body's become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as with a cloak. With my mouth, I will give thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opening of your word. And so, Lord, I ask that you would open my mouth to declare your truth, that you would open ears to hear. And Father, by your Holy Spirit, that your message would go forward, Lord. Uh, because we want to hear from you, and Father, we want to see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So you know, some of that, uh, honestly, especially in the middle, is kind of tough to read, isn't it? Uh, which honestly is the point of preaching through whole books of the Bible instead of skipping around, because you can't skip past tackling the tough passages. It's just not always a lot of fun. Uh, because, you know, the truth is when a pastor preaches on difficult passages or, or uh, unpopular doctrines... He can never be too sure about exactly what kind of reaction he's going to get afterwards. Like a, a pastor I read about uh, who said he had preached uh, a message on hell one particular Sunday. Uh, and then after the service, when he walked outside to shake hands with people, you know, back when people used to do that, uh, a, lady who was, a lady who was visiting him that day walked up and said, Reverend, you know, this was my first time uh, attending one of your services, and I have to tell you, I never knew what hell was really like until I heard you preach today. <laughs> and he said, uh, I thanked her at the time, but I always wondered what exactly she meant by that. Uh, and I, I thought that was funny, but... <laughs> you know, you and I both know that the truth is that the righteous vengeance of God is no joke. Uh, and nor are the riches of His grace, but we got a big dose of both of those in today's song. You know, right, right at the beginning, at least to me, it sounded really harsh and, and, and extreme and severe. And then at the end, the whole thing takes this hard right turn with language as bright and cheering as a ray of sunshine into a dark room. Uh, and it gets really tender at the end with almost the picture of, of a father holding our hand, standing beside us uh, in the midst of danger. And, and honestly, with that kind of juxtaposition, you have to wonder right now what in the world to make of all of that. And if we wanted to, we could, we could go around the room and, and ask different ones what you, know, what you thought of, of the passage and uh, how that psalm either did or didn't you know, maybe speak to you personally. And we'd probably get all kinds of different answers, I'll bet. And then you, you guys could ask me what, what I thought of it when I first read it. And that might make for some interesting dialogue, but guys, it would be a huge mistake because you shouldn't ever come to this church, or not to any church, uh, to just hear someone else's opinion. 
Okay? You shouldn't ever come to church, not to any church, to just hear someone else's opinion. And that goes for whether uh, it's the opinions of a parishioner sitting beside you or the opinions of your pastor. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, I got plenty of opinions. Just, just ask me, I got all kinds of thoughts on a whole lot of stuff that I could introduce you guys to for 25 minutes on a Sunday morning, believe me. Uh, but that's not what this time is about. Because as believers, we need to be listening to the message of the Bible, period. Period. And not to the creative mind of your pew mate or, or worship the imaginations of your preacher. Uh, because you as a congregation, as Christ's sheep, have every right and the legitimate expectation that what you hear from this pulpit will actually be found in and expounded out of the pages of sacred scripture. And not just something that I tried to read into it. Uh, you know, guys, that's why symbolically, if you've ever thought about it, why the Bible on the table there is facing you guys and not me. Uh, that's a very important symbol in a Reformation church. So that you can be sure that the message I bring you on the Lord's Day is one that's been mined out of the depths of God's Word that I've been studying over all week at home. And you can check even if you don't have a Bible of your own. And you can hold my feet to the fire if I bring you something that doesn't line up with the word that's facing you. And I tell you all of that to say this, uh, that when it comes to passages of Scripture like we read in Psalm 109 that are difficult to understand or, or that, that make us feel uncomfortable or have, have negative language, instead of asking each other what we think uh, or instead of reaching out for secular resources, we instead ask for the illumination of the Holy Spirit and then we keep reading we keep reading the word to find out if God has anything else to say about it. And so the best way for us together to face a difficult sounding passage like Psalm 109 is to let scripture interpret scripture. And in this case, that's super easy because the apostle Peter quoted today's psalm in a mini message that he delivered to the other disciples in Acts chapter 1, excuse me, just days after Christ's triumphant ascension into heaven. So if you're following along, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, which says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120, and he said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who was a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in ministry. And now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akel Damah, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. And they prayed and said, uh, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered among the eleven apostles. So now we're, now we're getting somewhere. Because first notice what Peter says in verse 16. He says, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. That, in other words, in Psalm 109 Concerning, concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. You see, that's the key that unlocks everything we've been talking about today. And what scripture had to be fulfilled? Well, for it's written in the book of Psalms, may his camp be desolate, 
Let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. And now, honestly, there's actually two Old Testament quotes there. The first half of verse 20 is a quote from Psalm 69, 25. Let his habitation become desolate. Let there be no one to live in it. And that was fulfilled in how Jesus or Judas posted that, uh, that field. He purchased that field of blood that became desolate after he committed suicide. Uh, but that's an offshoot for another time. The second half there of verse 20 is what we're primarily concerned with today. Because as I hope you notice, it's a direct quote from Psalm 109. Let another take his office. And that was fulfilled in the way Judas was replaced by Matthias. And at this point, some of you may be glancing at your watches and thinking, well, pastor, thanks for the info, but you're three quarters of your way through your sermon time, and I still don't understand uh, that tough talk in Psalm 109 or the sudden jump to mercy at the end of it. Uh, And so in the very short time I have left, here's the point. And it's two sides of the same coin. First, God is always 30 steps ahead of anyone who thinks they're getting away with their sins. Uh, because he, he can and does use the actions of sinful men to bring about his sovereign purpose. And the flip side is that those sins, even if God works through them and works them together for good, still carry very real, very eternal consequences. And Judas is exhibit A of that biblical reality. And, and you know, the problem is not so much that Judas turned out to be a traitor, right? Every, every organization, every leader eventually experiences one. We, hey, maybe we've even ended up being one at some time inadvertently because we're all human and the people we choose or who choose us are human too and people let other people down all the time but judas was chosen by jesus and jesus is infallible the bible says in john chapter 2 that jesus knows the hearts of men in fact john chapter 13 11 even tells us jesus knew the one who was betraying him And so how is it, or better yet, why is it then that Jesus could choose Judas when he knew it would set in motion some of the darkest moments in human history? And church, the simple answer that Peter gives us is that that all of it was done to fulfill Scripture because while Jesus' sacrificial death may have been a mystery to the disciples before it happened, it had always been the linchpin of God's plan of redemption. Jesus had to die on the cross on behalf of men's sins. He had to do it on a cross. And guys, it wasn't plan B. Uh, the fall of, of Adam and Eve didn't leave God scratching his hand, and, or scratching his head rather, and scrambling around for how he was going to put the universe back on track again. No, because the clear testimony of Scripture is that God had it planned before creation began. And that included the plan for someone who would betray Jesus. Jesus said as much to his disciples at the Last Supper that one of them would betray him, saying... The Son of Man goes and is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And so Peter, prompted by the Holy Spirit, wanted the disciples of his day and we in ours to understand that we can trust God's plan even when we can't see how it's going to work out. And worse yet, even when humanly speaking, it looks like it failed. And, and one of the primary ways we do that is to take all of Scripture, all of Scripture, every bit as disparate and dissonant as it may seem, and lay it like a grid over the plans we know God has for us. And then they all start to fall into place like cogs in a wheel. And that's including the prospect of eternal punishment for some. 
And again, the great tragedy here is Judas. He, he was given, you know, think about this, guys. He was given the unique opportunity to live and learn with Christ himself as one of the 12 disciples. For three years, he went on mission trips with them. He was on hand and helped distribute food to the 5,000. He heard the Sermon on the Mount with his own ears. He witnessed unimaginable miracles. And, all, and to all outward appearances, uh, he was an integral part of the team. But none of that ever changed his heart. And so when David in Psalm 109 prophesied this heart-rending betrayal that Jesus endured at the hands of Judas... David wrote, Be not silent, O God, of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me. Speaking against me with lying tongues, they encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. Does this sound like the story in the garden, right? Judas and Jesus. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer, so they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. And why? Because... Judas' motives for being a Christian right from the very beginning were selfish. Now, he loved the fellowship. He loved the intellectual aspects of Jesus' teaching. He loved the trappings of ministry, and he loved being made treasurer. But he proved to be a thief and a liar, right, who would pilfer from them. And when the opportunity arose to gain more money for himself by betraying Jesus, he took it. And to this day, his name is universally understood as a synonym for traitor. And so Peter tells us Judas turned aside to go to his own place. To go to, to go to his own place, of his own volition. Just kind of like the Gospel of Matthew tells us, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels and for all who spurn the goodness and mercy of God. And that those people who are going to hell like Judas don't do so because they were manipulated by God to get there. That they were manipulated by God into sinning. It doesn't happen because they were just passive puppets being used to carry out God's greater purpose, none of that, but because they turned aside from what God offered them to instead choose to go their own way, which is something that every human being on earth willingly and voluntarily chooses to do, not because God makes us do it, guys, but unless he stops us from following our own desires, because the truth is we're all born in sin. Our natural bent is to hate the author of authority and to hate being told what to do and the ultimate expression of our unchecked passions is hatred for God, a rejection of his word, and an unhealthy reliance in our own opinions and preferences, which invariably leads to hell, because the Bible says the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And, and God is going to deal out retribution on those that don't receive him and on those who don't submit to the gospel of salvation found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And when they do that, should we really be surprised that Judas and all those like him stand eternally condemned. Since Psalm 109 says they didn't remember to show kindness but pursue the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. They loved to curse, let curses come upon them. They didn't delight in blessing, may it be far from him. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord of those who speak evil against my life. Of those who speak evil against the light and life of the Son of God like Judas did, and who turn aside from him to, to follow the evil of their own human wisdom and their deceitful desires. Because, brothers and sisters, the mercy of God is here, the Bible says, for whosoever will. Right? Whosoever will. But the witness of Scripture is, as human beings, we love darkness rather than the light. And, guys, the judgment of Christ is coming. Second Thessalonians 
uh, kind of pulls all these thoughts together where it says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believed because our testimony to you was believed. And to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our Lord, of our God, rather, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, church, in his name today, in Jesus' name, I say to you, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel so that together we can pray in the words of Psalm 109, Help me, O Lord my God, save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as with a cloak. But with my mouth, I will give thanks to the Lord. I'll praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death, to save us, church, from the world and from the flesh and from the devil as we realize that we've been reborn by the Spirit of God, not by anything that we have done, but because our risen, conquering King has chased us down and made our hearts his home. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you Uh, So much that even uh, difficult scriptures, uh, when they're illuminated by your Holy Spirit and uh, overlaid by your great message of salvation, become so crystal clear. And so, uh, Lord, in the the light of these passages, as we we read these prophecies of Judas' betrayal of your son, uh, we ask you to illuminate our hearts, Father. Show us any betrayal that we may be holding back. Show us any uh, darkness that may be keeping us from you. Allow your Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, to... Uh, root those things out and draw us closer to you in this path of sanctification that you have us on Uh, and father if there's even one today here or listening that doesn't know you as your lord as their lord and savior i ask that you would uh, your presence would just be mightily upon them that you would convict them lord uh, and draw them to you and to the beauty of your son and to the glory of the forgiveness that we have in the cross and father we pray all of these things in jesus name amen